I was created for you, with dreams that you already knew. You had formulated a plan you breathed into this dusty land. Man became a living soul, dust and mud into flesh and bones, one with you, finally whole. Until the beguiling snake tempted mankind to forsake the God of mercy and of grace. Sin entered our broken life, suffering much pain and strife. But God made a way to live. The Father sent the Son to give. Along the dusty paths he walked to gather and gift his flock a new life and a new heart born again for a new start. If you spend any time on social media, you may have seen this. And I saw it again this week, and I thought, hey, that might tie into what we're talking about. There's this thing about choose your hard. You ever seen that little thing floating through social media? It says something like this. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity is hard. Getting fit is hard. Choose your hard. Being broke is hard. Financial discipline is hard. Choose your hard. <laughs> Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your hard. We can think of other examples, right? Getting good grades is hard. Not studying is hard. Choose your hard, because if you don't study, you're not going to school. I mean, you could, you could put all kinds of little phrases in that. When we make these choices, we make these discipline choices in our life, it's like, hey, this is really hard. But so is not doing whatever that is. And which battle do you want to fight? The one that moves you in the right direction or the one that moves you in the wrong direction? The pain, there is pain in discipline. Discipline is hard. But there's pain in regret, too. Choose your heart. My life is disciplined and structured and organized, and it's hard. Living in complete chaos, also very hard. <laughs> Especially if you're, you know, people that live in your house are chaotic and you're the disciplined. You may not get to choose your heart. It may choose you. You know what I mean? That's just how it kind of rolls. But these two worlds can collide, and you have to decide, this is difficult and this is difficult. Which difficult do I want to pursue? But let's be honest. If how-to books worked, everybody would be rich, thin, and happy. <laughs> that same social media right behind that post, they'd be like, hey, here's five ways to wealth in two years. You know, like, well, if that worked, then everybody would be wealthy. So then what do we do? Obviously, a lot of us are choosing the other hard, right? <laughs> hey, being broke is hard. Financial discipline's hard. I'm choosing broke. It's easier. <laughs> Less stressful. No, it's not, right? What are we dealing with? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, like, having Alan here is hard. Having Alan not here is hard. Choose your heart. Um, right, so, we struggle between these two worlds, right? We struggle with, do I want to be disciplined or not be disciplined? I do. I, maybe it's just me, right? But there's, there's side effects to both. So, if, it, if these books worked, we'd be happy. So, then what's standing in our way since they obviously don't work? Right? I mean, if you download the latest podcast on finances, you should be rich in six months, right? That isn't how it works, unfortunately. Well, the people of God, God's chosen people, Israel, had a hard to choose as well. So we're in Exodus chapter 6 this morning. 
And we're going to actually jump through, we're going to kind of do one of these like flybys through the story of the people of God in the desert this morning, so you'll have to kind of hang with me. But we're going to start in Exodus chapter 6. Starting in verse 2, going through about verse 9, we'll see. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land in which they resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will, I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord and your God who freed you from the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. Go into the desert with Moses, stay in slavery, choose your heart. <laughs> but they didn't hear it, did they? They're like, I mean, that whole passage is God going, I am going to make you a chosen people. I am going to deliver you with my own personal power. I am going to free you from the Egyptians and take you to a land that I promised your ancestors by scriptural passages as they go. That's a pretty good passage. When God says to you out loud, this is where, how I'm going to bless you. Most of us be like, I would like one of those in my life. You know, here's how I'm going to bless you. Thank you, God. I mean, we'd all be excited or a little freaked out if God came to us that audibly and said, this is what I want you to do next. It's a good passage. Well, when Moses goes to him and you know, loses a little bit of his steam because now it's not coming from God, it's like, hey, Moses like, hey, God's going to take us out of here. How do they respond? Yeah, that's not possible. We don't see it. We don't see how God could possibly deliver us from the power of the Egyptians and take us out into the... Take us where? You know, like the promised land, where's that? Difficult challenge, but the essence of the passage is God going, I am calling you as my people. Now, we kind of know some of this story, right? They come out of Egypt. God delivers them through the Red Sea, miraculously. Takes them through the desert, takes them through all kinds of challenges, and eventually takes them to the promised land, right? Well, chapter 16 of Exodus, there's a little... Pit stop that we're going to look at. This is chapter 16. Just the first couple of verses. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam. And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and the Israelites, and and Aaron in the wilderness, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Okay, so they're not in slavery anymore. They're in the desert. 
They're traveling through the desert with Moses, as promised. They've been delivered from slavery miraculously. I mean, parting red water, red, the Red Sea, that's a big deal. There's been pillars of smoke and pillars of fire guiding them. There's been all this miraculous stuff happening. They get out into the desert, and they're hungry because, you know, it's a desert. There's no food. And so they start grumbling, and they start complaining to Moses, and they go, um... We're hungry. What's, what's, what's going to happen? You should have just left us in Egypt where we had plenty of food as slaves. We would rather eat and be in slavery than be free and be hungry. Choose your heart. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, the metaphor is starting to carry through this little story. Hey, we'd rather be slaves and full or free and hungry. Have they forgotten Exodus 6? I will be your God. You will be my people. I will deliver you by my strong hand out of slavery into the promised land. A week later, they're like, we're hungry. What's the problem? What's the plan? We'd rather go back to Egypt. A week later, after miraculous stuff, after major events, after Moses has been faithful and shown power of God and all kinds of... We're hungry. Let's go back. <laughs> let's, let's return. Their heart turns back to Egypt. There's part of them that still longs for the way they used to live. There's a part of the people of God that are like, yeah, we, slavery's hard, but we understand it. We want to go back there. At least we wouldn't have to worry about where our next meal's coming from. You see, we are a people, this is, what's true for them is true for us. If you have launched into the freedom that is in Christ, there are, will be times in your life where you're like, eh, the old life was pretty good. And we haven't let go of it yet. There's times in our life where we're like, when the spiritual journey gets hard, when the disciplined journey of following Christ gets hard, we're like, yeah, but if I wasn't a Christian, I could just like, you know, party or whatever. It'd be okay. And we start holding back or longing for the way we, things used to be. There is something in us that's always seeking personal satisfaction first. We'd rather be fed and challenged in other words, our own priority, our own needs, our own desires, our plan, we prioritize it over God's, both are hard. Because our plan, remember the how-to books don't make you fit wealthy and happy. Our plan doesn't work either. It's hard. It falls apart on us. It blows up in our face. But we'd rather choose that than God's hard plan. Because following Jesus is not easy either. But we were like, if our, def our default switch is, my plan's the best plan. I want self-fulfillment. Now, how do I know this is true about us, people in general, all of us? First of all, I know from experience, I struggle with this. But here's the thing. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They didn't have to worry about food. They didn't have to worry about sickness. They didn't have to worry about struggle. It was literally paradise. And they weren't satisfied with paradise. As soon as the serpent comes along and goes, God's holding out on you. What's Adam and Eve's priority? How do, we get, how do we get access to that? They had access to everything. And the serpent goes, there might be something else. What does our initial heart do? We want that too. <laughs> we were dissatisfied with perfection. Think about that. Adam and Eve weren't happy in the Garden of Eden. All it took was, hey, there's something you're missing out on. FOMO got them. 
Fear of missing out got him. The serpent, all the serpent had to go is, God didn't really say, don't eat that tree, did he? What he really meant was that if you eat the tree, you're going to get you're no good and evil like him. You're missing out. You'll be, you'd be like God. So perfection and no cares and no worries and no disease and no death wasn't good enough. We want to be like God. Uh-oh. And what was the consequence of this aspiration of our own seeking self-elevation and self-fulfillment? Right? The fall. Disobedience to God created all the chaos that we live with now. Choose your hard. Everything is hard. Why? Thanks, Adam and Eve. <laughs> right? There is something inside of us that pursues our own self-interest first. We can't not worship. We can't not love. We either worship our own plans or we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no balance. But for a little while, I'm going to be king, and then I'll give it to you on Sunday, God. That's not how it works. I'm going to do my own thing under my own power, and when it blows up, I'll just give you a call. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Although that's how we typically operate, right? Our own plans are cool as long as they're cool. And when everything blows up, we're like, Jesus, I need a little rescue here. My plan didn't work again. You know, I failed. My own schemes and self-interest are blowing up in my face. Could you rescue me? And that's what's happening in Exodus 16, isn't it? They're in the desert. They're following Moses. And next thing you know, they're like, hey, it's a desert. There's no food. What do we do? Let's go back to Egypt where there was food. Let's go back to slavery where there was food. What's wrong with they having not fully let go of the old way of thinking about things? They're so focused on their own needs that they can't see the God of the Bible who's promised them everything right in front of their face. But God hears their cries. The rest of that story is he actually sends, he starts, that's when he starts sending manna, daily bread, right? Provides for their food that every day. With one caveat, don't lift it, don't pick up any bread on the, on, on the Sabbath, Store up, I'll send enough for two days on the Sabbath so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. And there were still some people that were so worried about being hungry instead of trusting God that did what? Tried to like, they just did what they had to on Saturday and expected the bread to be there on Sunday and they were hungry. When it's every day, here it is, here's how you eat, here's my instructions, just follow them. Nope, we're going to do it the hard way. <laughs> We're going to do it our way again, and then we're going to be hungry on the Sabbath because we didn't save up like you told us to. And there were some who tried to hoard it. Like they kept extra portion thinking, I'm going to keep this over till tomorrow because, you know, we might be hungry tomorrow. And it rotted because the instructions were there will be enough every day. With plain, audible instructions from God, they were like, yeah, I got a better plan than God. And we wonder why we struggle with this. We think we know better. Yeah, it's in the Bible that you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that, but I got a better plan. It'll work out better if I do it this way. It's just the manna story all over again. I've got instructions on how to live from Jesus himself in his own words, but I'm smarter than Jesus. I can figure this out. That is a dangerous path to go down. <laughs> Anytime you find yourself saying, I'm smarter than Jesus. Yeah, choose your heart, right? Try to figure out yourself or trust Jesus. Both hard. But the story continues. In fact, it gets a little worse. In Deuteronomy, they have arrived at the promised land. By the way, roughly two weeks later. 
So they've left slavery, they've left Egypt, they've gone through some trials, they've gone through some challenges. They're at the edge of the promised land. God tells Moses to send Joshua and some other folks in to check out the enemy, the bad guys that they're possessing the promised land. And they come back with a scouting report, two different scouting reports. One's like, hey, I think we can take them. And the other nine, 10, 10 out of 12 go, yeah, we're, we're toast. They're giants. We can't handle it. The same people who've been delivered by God in the desert over and over and over again look at an army and go, yeah, we can't handle it. Deuteronomy 1.26 says this. But you were unwilling to go up. This is God speaking, I think. You rebelled against the command of your Lord God. You grumbled in your tents and said, It is because the Lord hates us that he brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites and destroy us. They still don't trust that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to deliver them to the promised land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and promised Moses he would get them there. They still don't trust it. What does God do? You know this story, right? It roughly, the experts say it roughly takes, would have taken them 11 days to go from where they were in slavery to the promised land. God says, because you didn't listen, because you didn't trust what I had to say, this generation will not see the promised land. Turn around and walk around in the desert for 40 years. 40 years to make an 11-day journey. And the purpose of the 40 years is what? So that that whole generation who did not trust God's obvious power and provision would die because they didn't listen. That's harsh. That's hard. That's tough. Hey, I, I've displayed my power. I've made it obvious. I've kept my promise. There's the promised land. All you got to do is take out the folks that possess it. We don't trust you, God. Okay, cool. Then you can walk around until you die. But Joshua, who said, we think we can take them, and a few others, and the next generation will be given the promised land just as God promised. It just took them another 40 years to get there of wandering in the desert, wondering where things were going to go, how they're going to get there. We're basically faced with the same choice, right? We can try to do it our own way, or we can follow God's plan for us. We can try to follow Jesus. Both are a challenge. Decide which challenge you want. If we're going to enter the life that God has promised us, this is metaphorically speaking, right? The people of God are on the edge of the promised land, about to go in. There it is. There's the kept promise. All you got to do is follow the next step. For us, that's a metaphor, right? If we are going to live into the life that God has promised, we have to do some of the same things. If we want a life full of grace and mercy, then we have to take the humble path. We have to go the humble route. The arrogant route is, I got this. I know better than God. I know better than Jesus. I can figure this out. I might consult the Bible every now and then, but I got it. That doesn't sound very humble, does it? <laughs> but if we're going to enter into the... We don't even think about it that way, but we don't think about it as arrogant. We go, I got to figure this out. This is what I'm going to do. If it's indirect contradiction to what God wants us to do, we're basically saying we know better than God to do that. We don't think about it that way when we're 
scheming our next plan for our next million dollars, but we are literally defying God by not listening to God. So we have to come to the end of ourselves. That's the first step, right? The humble path is this. There is a God. It's not me. (laughs) Right? There is a God, and I'm not it. He knows better than I do. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of me trying to do this myself. I'm at the end of it. It That's where the humble path starts. There is a God. It's not me. Our hopes, our dreams, our pursuit of self-fulfillment will never actually satisfy us. Remember, Adam and Eve didn't think paradise was enough. So your 401k is probably not enough either. If paradise wasn't enough, right? We have to do that. That means that we have to mourn the old way of going about things. We are the Israelites, and we have a choice. Hey, I'd rather go back to Egypt where at least I had food or I'll trust Jesus with my life. The reason we're at that choice point is because we have not completely let go of the old way of living. Becoming a Christian, all your sins are paid for, right? It is for freedom you have been set free. Galatians 5.1, I belong to Jesus now. I am forgiven. True. That is the beauty of the gospel, right? I have been forgiven for my, my own plans, my own schemes, my own effort. I'm forgiven. Whoo! But then there's part of us that really likes the life we had before we did all that. That still appeals to us on some level. <laughs> and we keep going back to it. And we keep turning back to it. Like, yeah, that was cool. I'm going to go back that direction. I think this will work. I can be a Christian, but I can still do this. Fill in the blank. If we really are turning our life from old, as Paul talks about, Putting off the, literally, Paul says, take off the old self and put on the new, right? If we're really turning from the way we used to think about things and the way we used to orient our life and turning into the way that God wants us to live and operate, then the old self literally has to die. Paul says we have to be dead to our sins, dead to the old way of living, to put on the new life in Christ. Well, when somebody dies, something, something that we love dies, what's the response? Grief. We don't think about our past life that way, but if our old life dies, we ought to grieve it. Because the practice of grief is what? what do you, why do we grieve when we lose somebody? Because we care deeply about it, and we have to have closure, and we have to say, get at peace with the fact that is no longer They are no longer with us, right? If we love our old life so much, then when we put it to death, we need to let it, we need to bury it. We need to grieve. We need to put it behind us. There's a church word for that in the Bible. It's called repentance. Repentance literally means to turn. Here's the old life. I'm turning away from that. But just, if just turning away from it was enough, then the self-help books would work. Hey, I'm going to start eating better. If that was enough, the self-help books would work. We tend to hold on to the love of the old thing. Why why do diets fail? Because that burger tastes good. And we love it. And we still love it. And our old love does what? It draws us back into our old eating habits. We love the feeling of sleep. 
So waking up to go work out, oh, I love sleep too much, right? Tithe, give to the church, but I love my money too much. You see how this works? If I'm going to turn from a way that I used to think about the world, where looking good and having money and having status and having a degree, and ha- that's awesome, and that's what I love the most. If I'm going to turn away, not you can't have those things, but you get what I'm saying. If the thing I love more than God is what I have to let go of, then I have to mourn it when I repent, not just repent. Not, I'm making a new promise today. I'm, I'm going to start following Jesus. That's true, but we have to put away the old too. That's a process. And it takes humility to go, my scheme was not any good. <laughs> Happens in ministry sometimes when you plan an event and it doesn't go quite the way you think. And you go, yeah, that plan is not any good. It's hard to admit that. We tend to, as pastors, we tend to go, yeah, baseball was happening. That's why it was no good. You know, <laughs> like we, we find excuses like nobody came because they were watching Alabama. You know, like that kind of, we have that, we have that tension inside of us. So it's like, there must be some other reason why my awesome plan just went, you know, can't be us. <laughs> can't possibly be our fault. It takes humility to go on up and go, you know what? My plan didn't work. But out of death, is where new life comes from. Have you thought about the fact that something has to die for there to be life? Plants die for salad. Cows die for hamburgers. (laughs) Our old life has to die. Yeah, eat more chicken. Our old life has to die for there to be life. Jesus had to die for us to have that life. The old has to die for the new to come to life. Even winter dies and gives way to spring. Notice it's 75 degrees and sunny this afternoon. Even winter, the season has to die for the next season to come along. We ought to be humbled by this process. Like I said, we have to admit this is not our plan don't work. But if all it does is make us try harder, it didn't work. If my, if my approach to this scheme didn't work is to add a new scheme, then I haven't really admitted the old life didn't work. I've just created a new old life. And I'm still thinking I'm smarter than God on that plan. We have to admit, we have to be humbled by the process of turning away from the old way of living. Because when we were humble, when we mourn the past then God births in us a life full of grace and mercy. When we come to the point where it's like, there is a God, it is not me. I tried my own way. Paradise wasn't good enough. I now choose you, Jesus. And by the way, I wish as a pastor I would go, hey, if you pray this prayer and you... You put away your old life and you accept Jesus. You won't have any trouble. You'll be back in the Garden of Eden. That's not how it works either, is it? I wish it was. Hey, pray this prayer. Life will be wonderful. You'll have plenty of money. Everything will work. That would be a false promise. (laughs) The people of God trusted Moses to take them in the desert, and they get in the desert, and it's still hard too. They didn't have... Food in Egypt, but they also had slavery. They get into the desert, they're free, but they also don't have food. Just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean everything turns up roses and rainbows. I wish it did. 
but it does mean that when you fail him, you have mercy. And when you struggle, you have his power. And when you feel alone, you have his presence. It's a totally different life. It's not the same life as the old one. And yes, in the new one, there will be pain. In the new one, there is a trouble. Our journey with God can take 11 days or 40 years. Choose your heart. Let's pray. God, help us to stay on the path of life and grace and mercy and love and peace. Help us to choose you over ourself, over our ambitions, over our loves, over our passions, over our old way of thinking. Both are hard, but we know that you are with us in the heart. And so we rest in that truth this morning. We find our salvation and our hope and our joy from the fact that you died so that we might live. In your precious son's name, amen.